1: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The LSU Tigers. LSU wins the BCA. Stacy talking about One team, one
2: heartbeat. The New Orleans Hornets select Anthony Davis. And I'll say about to break out. Talk here. about my thing. To the 20. Geis. Touchdown.
0: Who that? This is the Chris Gordy Show.
2: Hour number two of the Chris Gordy Show underway on this Wednesday. December 13th, 2017. We're getting ever so closer to that early signing period. We're hoping LSU can lock up a a good number of recruits there. Hey, less work you got to do till the regular signing day. But on the LSU front, they were back out on the practice field yesterday getting ready for Notre Dame in the Citrus Bowl. Really good matchup. Two really good teams. And a guy who was out there watching LSU practice and put on practice clothes and walk around at practice was Nick Suss of SEC Country. He joins us now. Nick, what's going on, man?
3: Not too much, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
2: I, I love your uh, your tweets where you put them out and you say, Coach O said words about shoes whatever. I, I think it's really funny how you phrase things. But let's, uh, let's get into it. So yesterday, uh, LSU's back out of the practice field. I've been saying for weeks that in the Arkansas game, we have seen the last of Arden Key in an LSU uniform. Granted, uh, they you know he had a legit injury, but we didn't see him in the Tennessee or the A and M games. And now here we are getting into bowl preparation, and Arden Key listed as questionable. If you had to guess, would you bet that Arden Key will not play in the bowl game?
3: Yeah, I'm kind of leaning that way right now. It it might end up taking an act of God to get Arden Key back in an LSU uniform. <laughs> that knee injury looked pretty severe when I saw him trying to get back on the field for the A&M game and practice when he had that giant bulky brace on his knee. He also has the finger injury he's working through. He had the shoulder in the beginning of the season. When you're Arden Key, you don't want to hurt your draft stock anymore based off the season he's had. He probably fell a little bit from where he was at the beginning of the season, but I mean, he's still a top 10 to 15 draft pick, and you don't want to jeopardize that uh, by playing in – a game that really can't move the needle too much for you, he's probably done as a result of that. But if he can play, I mean, he still has a little bit to prove because of the spring and all of the question marks around him. So I think he'd like to play. I think he'd also like to try to get those three or four sacks he needs uh, to uh, move up the leaderboard at LSU. And I think he'd like to play against a guy like Mike McGlinchey, who might be a top-ten pick. At offensive tackle to prove himself against an NFL caliber player, but all that aside, I just think that the injuries might be too much.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And, and look, we've seen it the past few years: uh, guys who were projected as top fifteen picks, they're, some of them are trying to protect themselves, and albeit with an injury or not, uh, sometimes just smarter to to take the to take the. The road of sitting out. Um, What about some of these other guys, like Donnie Alexander, KJ Malone, guys who've been banged up much of the year. What's the latest on them?
3: Uh, Donnie wasn't at practice. I kind of expect him to play, but I think he was just sitting out this practice. I think he's still rehabbing whatever it is he's been banged up with. I would be kind of surprised if he didn't play. I think KJ's going to try to play. He seemed like he was full go in practice yesterday. Seems like... uh, he was cleared for contact. I think that's what Coach o said phrasing-wise. I don't know if he's the best left tackle on this team right now. Sadiq Charles has looked pretty good the last three or four weeks of the season when the offensive line kind of started gelling. He was an all-freshman player for the SEC. Um, we'll see if K.J. starts. I think K.J. will get some reps just because it is his last college game and almost certainly his last football game ever. Uh, we will see how much time he gets, but I do expect him to play.
2: Uh, what about Darius, guys? Uh, I was a little surprised when he came out and said, "I'm definitely playing in the bowl game." And like Darius is a guy who he's loved his time at LSU, and I'm actually surprised he's actually leading people on and, and entertaining, at least on social media, entertaining the thought that. He uh, could potentially come back next year. I know Coach O said yesterday uh, that he doesn't know if Darius has made an official decision yet. Look, it, at this point, he's projected as as a first round pick or even an early second round pick. He, he'd be smart to to leave. But all that said, I, like I said, I'm a little surprised that he's going to be a full participant in the uh, in the bowl game. Uh, what are you What are you hearing the latest with Darius, guys?
3: I mean, right now he's just taking a page straight out of. Jamal Adams' playbook. This is the same thing Jamal did last year leading into the bowl game. I mean, let's be clear. Darius loves playing football, and he wouldn't skip this game for anything. He just loves playing football, and when you're playing a team like Notre Dame, he's going to want to show off. That's just his personality. He's going to want to show these guys up because it's a big stage and a big name, and all eyes might be on him. But... When it comes down to it, you're right. Dude's projected to go in the top 20. I've never, I have not seen any draft projection that has him worse than the third running back in the draft. Most have him second to Penn State's Saquon Barkley. He's going to be picked in the top 20 or 25 picks. He's probably going to land on a team that could make a push for the playoffs next year. When you play a position like running back where injuries are so common and draft stock is so volatile you can't leave eight million dollars on the field to try to improve your stock by five picks so I, i agree with you i think that this is all one giant lead on that he's going to end up declaring and when he does lsu fans should respect and understand his decision because that's a lot of money to leave on the table
2: we uh, we talked about the early signing period coming up. Uh, what did Co- Coach O uh, apparently talked about some of the food he's been eating? What's the latest on the food that Coach O's been eating? <laughs>
3: uh, he said he'll go from one house where they've got a gumbo to another house where they got red beans and rice. And I, I feel for these mothers that like if Nick Saban comes on a visit, I don't think they have to think about the food twice. Right. But if Coach O's walking into your house. That's got to be the number one focus.
2: Yeah, you got to impress. How
3: him. do we feed this man? How do we impress him? <laughs> I, I I talked to a couple of these recruits last week, and one of the first questions we ask is, "What food do you prepare for O?" And it, there's always a story. The story is always Coach O's never off. The, what you <laughs> see on TV is what they get in recruiting. He is yeah. always Coach O. And I find it astounding that this man has no off switch.
2: <laughs> no, it's 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 pretty impressive. And I, look I call it this time of year it's coach O season. This is when he goes to work. This is this is what he does the best and that's and that's recruiting. What have you have you heard anything on the recruiting front on some of these guys that they're uh that they're trying to to persuade. I mean, uh, we already know a lot of the guys who are committed, but there's a lot of these guys still up in the air and some Louisiana guys like Puka Williams and uh, others who are still kind of looking around. Um, How how much is LSU, if they're making any movement at all with some of these other kids?
3: Puka specifically, I could be wrong, but I'd be a little bit surprised if he ends up at LSU. Uh, The rest of them... What it looks like is they're probably going to sign 20 or 21 kids in the early signing period, leave four or five spots for the main signing period in February. And they're going to try to sign these 20 guys, have a giant class of early enrollees for the spring, and then focus on four or five guys in the winter of, well, we're going to visit all of you once a week. We're going to contact you as frequently as possible. We're going to Splits all out on convincing you to put on the purple and gold. And those are going to be your big, big priority targets. I have no idea if this strategy is going to yield the results they want. If I were to guess, there are probably two five-stars who are not committed who will be the main focus, Uh, Terrace Marshall up in Bossier City and Pat Sertan Jr. down in Florida. Uh, We will see. How these work out, I expect those are to be guys that LSU can get and should want to get. But there are some holes in this class that they need to fill out with these last five spots, and they probably need a quarterback. They probably need another running back. So we will see uh, what they can do with these spots because there's a lot to balance with, with just a few a few spots left on the
2: roster. Yeah, we had Sertan's father on the show a couple weeks ago, and he sounded like, you know, the kid was was full on with LSU, and and it sounds like that that's where he's going to end up. But he certainly is taking his time on on making the decision, and I guess it is a big decision for the kid to make. But uh, you would think that if if that's been his school all along, and that's where he wants to be, hey, why not just give the commitment?
0: Yeah,
3: I mean, w- when you're a player as gifted and touted as he is. There's, there's no problem with being thorough. And also, if he's going to announce on national television, give him his moment and let him have the least suspenseful, suspenseful moment of his life when he announces LSU. Uh, I don't know. I, I do think that he's been leading LSU for a long time, and I think when you're a number one corner like he is, there is something enticing about LSU. And I think when your family has such strong Louisiana ties, there's definitely something enticing about LSU. So I wouldn't be shocked if he came here. I'd actually be kind of surprised if he didn't end up in Baton Rouge. But you've also got to remember the volatility of 17-year-old kids. Uh, Excuse my awful pun, but he certainly can change his mind if he wants. Um, And he may.
2: That's great. That is great. Nick Suss of SEC Country. Uh, just one quick thought, Nick. I know you uh, you cover LSU for, for the website SECCountry.com.
1: Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That's to brighten your day little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary BTW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus com. Um,
2: gymnastics is something that I, like i just never talk about that on sports talk radio ever but we've talked about this before that may be the best sport on lsu's campus right now is the gymnastics team i know they got out on the floor the other night uh, how are they looking this year what can we expect uh, from from the gymnastics front
3: you see, I'm not going to say maybe. I'm going to say definitely is the best team really? <laughs> at LSU. I, lo- I love covering this team. They are just supremely athletic, and they're real fun to talk to. Uh, I think they're going to take a step back from the last two years. I don't think they're going to finish number two in the country, but that step back might just be to number three in the country. <laughs> They've got three girls on this team who are going to be nationally gifted competitors, Maya Hambrick, Sarah Finnegan and Kennedy Edney, and then they've got another girl, Lexi Priestman, who, if it wasn't for her having surgeries on every muscle and ligament in her body, she probably would have been an Olympic medalist at some point in her life. So if the four of them can be on the floor at the same time together, this is going to be a great team. And I would suggest if you're ever making a trip to the PMAC this year, that's the team to watch with all respect to the uh, hoopy hoop teams, the gymnastics <laughs> team's are the main attraction at LSU in the wintertime.
2: And, and Mary Lou Retton's daughter got hurt, right? She's she's out yeah. for the year?
3: Yeah, McKenna Kelly has an Achilles injury. She was scooting around on her knee scooter at the event showcase on Monday. And then there was a point where, I can't remember what song they played, but they played a song that was really upbeat. And you see her jumping up and down on one leg doing an Irish jig with her Achilles that can't touch the ground. <laughs> what? Wow. It's like, I have your spirits this high she's she is incredibly positive i could not yeah. imagine that
2: wow he is nick sus sec like i said we rarely ever talk gymnastics but i thought i would squeeze that in there among the uh, the football tick talk nick appreciate the time man we'll uh, we'll do it again soon all right cool chris all right, thanks a lot, Nick Suss, SECCountry.com. You follow him on Twitter, at Nick Suss. We'll grab a quick break. We'll come back. I'll uh, we'll do a quick segment here coming up, and then we'll talk with our buddy Carter, the power Bryant, talk some SEC coaching changes with him. All that coming up. It's a Chris Gordy Show. Stay there.
0: Chris Gordy now. Duncan Holder next at 10 on Sports 1280,
1: oh, New Orleans. So mommy sing, sing. Kiss, kiss,
2: sing. Oh, no, yeah, time. Ton- Time to get into the Christmas spirit with Michael Jackson. Welcome back into the show. Just reading a crazy story out of Athens, Georgia. A Georgia defensive back was arrested on fraud charge, allegedly using a $100 bill at a pet store. Georgia freshman defensive back Latavius Brini has been arrested after he allegedly used a fake $100 bill at a pet store over the summer. So this didn't even happen recently. This was over the summer. The uh, Athens-Clarke County Police Department alleges Brittany used a fake $100 bill to purchase $8 worth of merchandise and received $92 in in change back on July the 14th. It wasn't realized until later that the currency used was fake after the bank the store uses rejected it. An Athens-County Police representative Stated at the time of the transaction, Brini opened a rewards card with the pet supplies under a fake identity. What
1: a dumbass.
2: So he went back to the store approximately a week later and used his debit card. He was then identified as the customer who used the counterfeit money. He was arrested Tuesday... Posted bond later that night. He is redshirting this year, and is the second Bulldog to be arrested since the SEC championship game. Linebacker Natres Patrick was arrested the hours after the game on a misdemeanor and reportedly paid that fine. The Bulldogs will play Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl on January first, part of the college football playoff semifinals. But how about that? Like he went to a so he clearly got a hundred fake one hundred dollar bill. And if he went back to week later and used his debit card, this is clearly a pet store he, store he goes to often. Like, if you're going to use a fake $100 bill, go use it somewhere you don't normally go, dummy. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> go to some restaurant you would never eat yeah. at ever again.
2: And then at first I was like, he only bought eight dollars worth of stuff with a fake hundred dollar. But then I was like, ah, the gist is to get the change. You get ninety dollars in change. Which, yeah, that's
0: like Christmas time when your grandmother gives you like a twenty dollar, you know, gift card or something, and you, you would get the cash back. You're like, oh, I'm just gonna go buy a dollars worth of bubble gum and get nineteen bucks cash.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what you do. Now, uh, now again, this goes back to a bigger picture about college athletes not being not being uh, paid. Is this kid, you know, like? $90 cash means that much to him <laughs> like he he was willing to go break the law and use a fake $100 bill to get $90 cash to go live with you know so uh, it's the hypocrisy of college football continues and it rolls on because Jimbo Fisher you know guys like Kevin Sumlin are getting paid what is it 10, getting a check for 10 million dollars in the next 30 days to not coach and just go sit out. Les Miles is getting a check every month to not coach. Butch Jones is going to get a check every month to not coach for millions and millions of dollars. We're
0: in the and, wrong gig, Gordy.
2: And the kids that are playing the sports forum are using fake $100 bills just to get a little spending cash. Oh, it is it is a mess out there. So they'll have to get something figured out here as the NCAA, the hypocrisy rolls on with them. Um quick thought on the Pelicans. They'll be back in action tonight hosting the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are on a three-game win streak and have won six of their last seven. The lone loss in a mix coming at Boston, who, you know, one of the best teams in the NBA. So Milwaukee is a very good team and it's gonna be tough to beat them coming into New Orleans. Now for the Pelicans, all you got to do is Keep up that offense you had in Houston the other night. If you come out and shoot like you did that that night and, and the night against the Sixers, you're going to be just fine. Um, and then some news came out yesterday. I don't know if you saw this last night. Tony Allen of the Pelicans has been diagnosed with a fibula fracture in his left leg. He is expected to miss three to four weeks. Tony Allen hasn't been playing a whole lot. He's averaging four points and two rebounds, 12 minutes a game. I don't really know what what his role was supposed to be here. We know he's a good defensive player. It's just... I don't know. We haven't seen a lot of Tony Allen very much this year, so I don't know if they'll miss him really three to four weeks. It's just another body that's going to be out for the Pelicans. But again, they're taking on the Bucks tonight, and then they go on this little four-game road trip to Denver, Washington, Orlando, Miami. So if you get a win tonight, they'd be big moving forward, and uh, it'd be against a really, really good team in the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, let's let's uh, let's see this. We're going to grab a quick break. When we come back, we're going to catch up with our buddy Carter, the Power Bryant, covers the SEC. He does a podcast for SEC Country, same place uh, Nick Suss writes for. And we'll get his thoughts on some of the coaching changes going on around the SEC. He's uh, close to the folks in Arkansas. We'll get some thoughts on how Chad Morris is doing there and much, much more. All that's coming up next on The Chris Gordy Show. Stay right there. We'll be back just after this. Click, click,
0: click, click. As I look around, they don't do it like my click, 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 click. And all these bad, bad men, they want to.
2: Welcome back into the Chris Gordy Show. Rocking and rolling on this Wednesday morning. And pleasure to now be joined by our buddy Carter Bryant, better known as The Power. He is uh, radio host, podcast host, SEC Country. Carter, what's going on, man?
0: Dude, I love that song, man. God, click, click. You know what's crazy (laughs) is, like, we used to roll in the same click back then. It's so weird. Like, we're so old now, Gordy. And I know this is probably going to bore a lot of your listeners, but that's okay. I want to reminisce here. Back then, when we were in Tiger TV and KLSU, and we were just scouring the halls at whatever time to put together shows, man, those are the good old days. So Les Miles there, the, uh, a really fun time. So, man, it's good talking to you. Yeah, let's talk about that, because uh, I
2: wanted to get you on to talk about some of the coaching changes around the, the, the college football world, and specifically the SEC. But let's start there. We've had Les Miles here on the show a couple times in recent weeks, and one, he's a tremendous guest. I mean, the guy's got stories for days. I could literally talk to him for four hours, just sharing recruiting stories and all kinds of stuff. But why do you think his name I mean, his name popped up in the Tennessee search? It's popped up here and there. Why do you think no one's taking a, a, a risk at, or a shot at Les Miles right now?
0: Yeah, I, I just did a deep dive on this myself. And like you, Gordy, I mean, we, we all have to be honest. You know, we were students while Les Miles was a coach. We all love Les Miles. I mean, it's really hard to find someone that doesn't love Les. And speaking to my sources close to him, and I don't speak to him, obviously, as much as you do, but he still wants to coach. Uh, you know, he could be just saying that because, well, that's part of the contract, um, the $130,000 a month. There's a clause in the contract that says, well, you still have to pursue other coaching opportunities. So basically you just have to say that he's doing that. But but I, I legitimately believe he wants to coach again. The thing is, Chris, is less is just – a. A change in trend as far as age is concerned. He's falling victim to this new trend in college football that all teams and all universities are hiring the young, good looking, uh, forward thinking coordinators. That's just how things look. I mean, I just ran the numbers on this. Back in 2005, When Les Miles was hired, he was 52 years old. The average new head coaching hire was 49 years old. Fast forward now to not only this year, but last year as well. The number is at 45 years old. That doesn't sound like that's a big change but it is, you know, you see a lot more of these coordinators with no head coaching experience, get jobs. And, you know, the the perfect example of this was the Tennessee job and his name was connected. There was rumors that Fulmer won at Les Miles, but here's the situation. Les would have fit in perfectly at Tennessee. He knows the SEC. He's energetic for a man of his age. He's well rested. He's won all these games. Tennessee fans would have, would
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void or prohibited by law. See
0: terms and conditions 18 plus. But they went with a no experience at all, like at any level, head coach in Jeremy Pruitt, who's 43 years of age. Les Miles now is 64. There have only been one coach each year over the last two years, over the age of 60, that has been hired at their respective jobs. One of those coaches is Herm Edwards, and Gordy, I mean, come on, that was a clear situation. It's going to be his a mess. The, Yes, <laughs> his agent is now the athletic director at Arizona State. That's the only reason Herm Edwards got that job. They just don't hire the older coaches. You need to be in your late 30s, in your 40s, or your early 50s to get these jobs. It's crazy to think of this, but Dan Mullins is in his mid-40s, and he's been coaching for a long time as a head coach. So Les Miles at 64, a lot of people think he's a retread. And another thing is that when you have a new coordinator come in and that's his first major job, he's going to give it all. That job is everything to him. I'm not saying Les wouldn't give it at all, but, you know, he's he's had his own thing. He's had his own career. Maybe he has other things in mind, such as keeping up with his daughters or hanging out with his family or Maybe he just wants to take those one hundred thirty thousand dollars checks for the rest of his <laughs> life. So it, it's 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 an interesting situation when a coach Chris Gordy. Listen to this: only Bear Bryant, uh, Paul Mewen, and one other name that flips my 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 my, my, my mind right now has a better winning percentage in the Southeastern Conference ever. We're talking about the history of college football, and we know that there is no person arguably more powerful in all sports than a college football head coach. Les Miles is proven to win at a legendary clip, and nobody, I mean nobody, and even the Tennessee rumors were kind of light, nobody is even really considering him. It really is a crazy thing.
2: Yeah, it's crazy, and and I think part of that was his his unwillingness to change. I'm standing by Cam Cameron, and you know, look, even even Nick Saban adapted and, and hired Lane Kiffin, All, even though it was everything against what Saban stood for, he made the changes because he realized he had to adapt. I want to hit on some other names with you that are changing um, uh, changing positions this offseason. You're close to the to the folks at Arkansas. Uh, what did you make of them moving on for Brett Bielema? One, and then two. What do you make of the hire in Chad Morris?
0: Oh, man, Brett Bielema, I do radio here every day, and it's, it's bad. It's really, really bad. I do a daily show in Arkansas, and people are just so tired of Brett Bielema. And like you said, people unwilling to, to change, they also fired their athletic director, Jeff Wong, who won AD of the year just a few years ago. And part of the reason was he did not want to fire Brett Bielema. Same thing with Les Miles. It was tough for him to part ways with Cam Cameron, and that ultimately led to his demise. So it's it was it, it it's been rough here at Arkansas. They There needed to be change. Now, their own coaching search was weird. They waited as long as they could for Gus Malzahn. He lost the SEC Championship game, which gave Gus a better opportunity. But his agent, Jimmy Sexton, who you're very familiar with, Chris, covering NFL in college every day, He bled Arkansas out for a lot of money, and now Gus Malzahn is seven million dollars a year coach. I love the hire that Arkansas made in Chad and Chad Morris. I I do think Arkansas fans are overhyping it. This is a guy that was fourteen and twenty-two as a head coach, but let's be honest, Clemson is not Clemson without Chad Morris. He built that thing. He recruited Deshaun Watson. Left and he's been the SMU coach over the past few years. Yeah, the record is bad, but look, ask Trey Quinn, former LSU receiver, what he thinks of Chad Morris. He led the, the nation with 107 receptions this year. That's absolutely insane going from LSU to SMU and being that good. Chad Morris is an innovative offensive mind, and one thing that you know a lot of people aren't mentioning about Jimbo Fisher going to Texas A&M, we don't know if he's going to be able to recruit Texas Texas recruiting is just different. And we always know Texas is one of the most unique states in the entire states uh, that we have here in the United States of America. Texas high school coaches are a close fraternity. And there is no man in college football that currently has a head coach that has a better relationship with Texas high school football coaches than Chad Morris. So you have Jimbo Fisher, a guy that's new to Texas. Maybe he doesn't recruit that state as well. And you know what? That's not only going to open up doors for Arkansas to come in and get some of these three and four stars. That also opens up LSU to dominate the state even more. Because, Gordy, I could have an argument with anyone that LSU's done a better job recruiting that state than even Texas A&M. Yeah, no, no,
2: no. You make a good point there. I mean, Kevin Sumlin came from the University of Houston where he already had ties to Houston. And so he was able to make that transition. He already knew a lot of this the coaches around Texas. The other part of this too, Carter, and, and want to get your thought on that, is Chad Morris goes to Arkansas. He could sell people on the fact, hey, look, this is the biggest opportunity of my life. This is a dream job for me. Tom Herman goes to Texas. He could sell people, this is my dream job. I was once a grad assistant at UT. This is where I want to be. Ed Ogeron, we know it is his dream job, LSU. He's always wanted to be there. Jimbo Fisher at AM, I wonder how that rubs some of the coaches around the high school ranks going in and going well i'm only here because of the money you know what i mean it's all these other right. gobs could all these other coaches could say hey look this is my dream job it's where i want to be i want your kid to come play for me you know live out my dream blah 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 with jumbo it's like hey look they were the highest bidder in the room that's why i'm here hey send your kid to come play for me it just kind of seems less genuine when jumbo walks into that living room now
0: yeah, everything about Texas A&M, it's weird, the juxtaposition between its fans. You know, if you ever been to College Station, their fans are some of the most loyal, some of the most ritualistic, some of the most diehard fans. But the university itself is just very commercial. Like, I mean, there's just so much money being poured into the university. Heck, they are spending millions, and I mean millions, on building this huge hotel across from Kyle Field that right now, per the Wall Street Journal, it costs 100,000 dollars down payment just for you to have the opportunity to book a room during the football season that's how much money is being <laughs> poured into Texas A&M by its boosters And it's insane that Jimbo Fisher is in this situation where, you know, he doesn't have really that big a ties to Texas. He's been recruiting Florida mainly, as a lot of you know, being a Florida State head coach. All of it does seem kind of commercial to me. And, you know, with Texas high school football coaches, and I know a few have been around Texas before, and I don't come recruiting that close. But the one thing about SEC schools, I think of all the states that are in the South, Texas has this, you're either one of us or you're not kind of mentalities. They're, they're, I mean, they're welcome to outsiders. Obviously, other states have come in and recruited Texas well. But it is kind of one of those things like, oh, look at Jimbo Fisher coming in with the jet and the the nice maroon jacket and all this $75 million of guaranteed money. You know, you look at a Chad Morris who's crying try, and trying at his first job. He knows that um, they're familiar with Chad Morris and what they're going to do. It does seem a little, I- I'm not going to say less authentic, but I don't know how long it's going to take Jimbo to get these big-name guys there. So I know, Chris, there's a lot of people that live in woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of worlds, uh, and I understand that. And there are a lot of LSU fans that wanted Jimbo Fisher to be the head coach, and I know a lot of people put down on Ed Orgeron all the time. but. LSU fans should not live in a world where they're angry that Jimbo Fisher's not the head coach. I understand it's sad. I understand that people really wanted him here and the saving years, and he would be great here in Louisiana. I don't think, even if Jimbo does have some success, that LSU fans should feel all that sad. And either way, I don't think Jimbo's really going to be that successful there to begin with.
2: We're talking with Carter the Carter the Power Bryant here on the Chris Gordy Show. Take a quick break. We'll come back. One segment to go here on the Chris Gordy Show. Stay there. Final mean, segment this it, morning here on the Chris Gordy Show. We're talking with our buddy Carter the Power Bryant does a radio podcast for the SEC country and guys everywhere. He covers everything and love to get his perspective on college sports. And Carter, before the break, we were talking about some of the coaching changes and stuff around the country. Let me ask you real quick on some of the guys we already touched about, touched on less miles. What do you think happens with some of these guys that are out of a job right now? Cause a lot of the jobs have already filled up and there's, there's no real, uh, I mean, all the big jobs are gone right now. Guys like Kevin Sumlin and Brett Bielema, are they just all going to sit out this year? Is is that kind of what, what, what they're going to do? Maybe end up in TV or something?
0: Yeah, that's what the podcast uh, and for SEC Country I just did was all about. I, I think those guys get jobs. I mean, they're right in that range. I know Kevin Sumlin is over that average age of about 45 or 46. But, I mean, he's a forward-thinking, elite offensive head coach. You cannot debate that truth. And he recruits well and he's a hard worker, he'll get another job. Brett Bielema, a little more archaic. Uh, his personality can rub boosters the wrong way. He's forty seven years old. He's gonna get another job. Um, I, I think they I think they both get jobs. Obviously, Brett Bielema did a lot of CBS analyst work. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see him on college game day or if you see him calling a few games next year. Eventually though, Brett Bielema will be at you know like a youth, a UCF level school. And I could see the same thing happening for Kevin Sumlin. Uh, I I think both of those guys are definitely going to be back in the the head coaching realm. And, you know, you you look at a guy like Kevin Sumlin. you know, there's an, there's a real opportunity for him to be brought in as an offensive consultant, the same way that uh, come on, Atlanta Falcons head coach uh, names of some on goodness gracious. Sarkeesian. uh, Yeah. It's Steve Sarkeesian. Um, I, I could definitely see something like that. Also, a name to keep out for. And this really fascinates me. Whatever happens to Hugh Freeze, I mean, I understand what he did was as big of an embarrassment as you can for, you can have for any university. But I think there's going to be some schools out there that saw what he did at Ole Miss and at least give him an opportunity to join their staff. Someone's going to take another chance on Hugh Freeze, and I think. Over this next year, it's going kind to of be interesting to see if he gets hired anywhere.
2: Well, that that's an interesting name because uh, the, the two names that I was talking about with somebody recently was uh, Hugh Freeze and Art Briles, And the difference between the two, you know, both of them were, were an embarrassment and, and got let go from the universities for different reasons. But with Art Briles, it is neglection. It is you knew what was going on and you didn't stop it. With Hugh Freeze, it's more, you know, he made mistakes as a man. And that was his downfall. But that sets up more for the redemption story, where people can say, right. you know what, Hugh had that downfall, but he's able to move past that, put it behind him, and become a better person. Whereas Art Bryles, most people are like, well, he's a piece of crap. I mean, you know, nobody can really get past that. But with Hugh, I agree. It feels like a year's time might be enough time for the healing process, and maybe he ends up somewhere after after this offseason.
0: Yeah, Hugh Freeze didn't allow other people to get hurt. And that's that's a big difference between those two uh what our did was or allegedly did or however you want to say it was very nefarious so i i i don't know if he'll ever get a job i mean you, you look at you know he tried to get that job with the canadian football league and the league came in and said no <laughs> so as as far as his future i mean the dude is one of the best offensive minds we've ever seen at the sport i mean he won at baylor seriously he won at Baylor, goodness gracious! That's like walking into a McDonald's and getting a Ruth Chris steak. I mean, I mean, it it was truly an incredible turnaround what he did at Baylor. So eventually, he'll get another opportunity. I really do think so. Like a Hugh Freeze as an offensive quality assistant, and maybe as an offensive coordinator or something like that. Man, I I really liked Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. I, I thought he was just incredible. I mean, the SEC West is so brutal. Yeah, he had some elite recruiting classes. Yeah, there was some shady stuff going on there outside of his own misconduct. But, man, he won some big games. And one thing Hugh Freeze can say is that he beat Alabama and coached really well against them. So I, I, I do think both of those men will get an opportunity, and obviously I think Hugh Freeze will be the one that gets one sooner.
2: Talking with Carter, the Power Bryant, about some of the coaching searches. I want to get your thoughts on this one, Carter. This one just is, intrigues me. Joe Moorhead has been the offensive coordinator the past couple years at Penn State. Run a good offense there under James Franklin, and obviously Saquon Barkley was a featured back there, a Heisman contender this year. Uh, but when I look at Joe Moorhead and his background, he played at Fordham. He spent years at Fordham, at UConn, at Akron, at Georgetown. It's the guys. He just screams Northeast. And I wonder how a guy like that can step into the middle of Mississippi, Southern Mississippi and hit the recruiting tra- trail. I mean, it's it's almost like he's going to have to sell them on his offensive philosophy and really start working from the ground up because you're an outsider coming from the North, stepping into the state of Mississippi, having never coached in the South.
0: Yeah, his story is probably the most incredible. I mean, it's... It truly is amazing what that dude had to do to grind his way to the top. I just love seeing that personally. You do make a good point, but then again, I mean, Mississippi State, are they really battling anyone outside of Ole Miss, maybe Arkansas, for the kind of players that they're getting to begin with? No. What they need is a schematic genius, and what he's done at Penn State with Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley – has been nothing short of amazing. I mean, you can make a strong case that he's been the most underrated play caller in college football. I mean, when you think great, great play callers, you think the big, flashy names. You think Lane Kiffin. You think Bobby Petrino. You think Mike Leach. Joe Moorhead has been just as good at developing and calling plays as anybody. And that's been the bigger thing for Dan Mullen to begin with anyway. You know, a lot of the star offensive players he's had, you know, outside of even Dak Prescott, outside of even Nick Fitzgerald, you look at uh, uh, Fred Ross, who was just an amazing wide receiver. Look at some of these makeshift piecemeal running backs that he's put together. A lot of that was development. So with Moorhead, you're kind of hoping for the same thing. And something else Mississippi State did that was very fascinating. They had a plan in place. I mean, that was one of the quickest turnarounds to hire a head coach that I've ever seen in the Southeastern Conference. They were ready to go. They knew Dan Mullen was going to bolt, and they had a plan in place to move forward. So that'll definitely help them in the recruiting trail. But if you were to ask me, Mississippi State's going back down into the dumps. I hate it. I've enjoyed Cowbell Nation. They had a fun ride there with Dan Mullen. But what fascinates me, and this is a break that LSU did not get, but Alabama did get, was that Dan Mullen ended up going to Florida instead of Tennessee. He was going to go to either one of those schools. Now, if you're LSU and you hear that, you don't have to worry about playing Mississippi State as much because Dan Mullen, he's 2-2 two two in his last four games against LSU, outscoring them 105-75 to 75 despite significantly lesser talent. However, if he goes to Tennessee instead of Florida, you don't have to play him every year. Now that he's had Florida with better talent, that's going to be a brutal matchup for LSU, who has struggled defending against Dan Mullen-led offenses. So LSU almost dodged a major bullet with Mullen going to Tennessee and said he goes to Florida. And now Alabama, instead of playing Mullen every year, will get to coach against Tennessee against a guy they're familiar with than Jeremy Pruitt, who's never been a head coach before. So that right there that slight move is a lot bigger for the future of LSU football than people have really thought about.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you this though, Carter. I, I'd rather have Mullen at Florida than Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly just scared the hell out of me if he was at Florida. I mean, <laughs> the Urban Meyer years, the Tebow years, and it was so tough on LSU fans having to go through those years with Florida, but Chip Kelly would have scared me just a little bit more than uh than Mullen there. Although I think Mullen's going to do a good job, but we'll see. Big, Bigger stage, more pressure there at Mississippi State, have lost. He could have won five, six games a year, and they would have praised him and still put up a statue there in Starkville. Now he's got a little bit of added pressure in Gainesville. We'll see if uh, right. we'll see if he can do that. One last thought for you, Carter, uh, before we get out of here on this Wednesday morning. Um, thoughts on the college football playoff? How it shaped up with Alabama? I mean, look, Alabama, Nick Saban, seem to always get the benefit of the doubt. And normally, I'm Mister SEC. Normally, I'm Mister Mr. Rah, rah, go SEC. I just didn't think Alabama's resume was all that great this year. What they did, I mean, their their best win was against LSU, which – Admittedly, this LSU team's okay. It's, it's you know it was no great shakes, and then you go back and look at the film, and LSU outplayed Alabama for stretches of that game. And then you know Mississippi State, you can argue outplayed Alabama, and then they got their ass kicked in the trenches uh, on both sides of the football against Auburn. I just thought Ohio State had the more impressive wins this year, but ultimately what everybody harped on was worst loss. And obviously, Alabama's one loss was to Auburn. Ohio State had the two losses, and one of them was to a bad Iowa team, so therefore Alabama got in.
0: You know what's weird is both of those teams were elitely mediocre, if that makes sense. They are both elite talent-wise. They're 1-2 and in the Vegas Power Rankings, which means on a neutral field they'll be favored over anybody in college football. But I agree, Chris. What's interesting about Urban Meyer and Nick Saban is historically – What makes them such great coaches is that these guys have their teams playing the best football in late October and in November, and that was not the case for Ohio State or Alabama. Uh, The Ohio State get blown out by Iowa by 31. I get that. Uh, The Oklahoma loss is excusable. But the one thing you do is now Ohio State's not going to have as much of an incentive To schedule in Oklahoma. I know that that win is what got them in the playoff last year, but what the committee has told me is that avoiding losses is the number one thing you need to do. And let's say you replace Oklahoma with TCU or or a lesser team, but still of a respectable power five, you're probably going to win that game and you'd be in the playoff right now. I mean, it's hard for anyone to convince me otherwise. I do agree Ohio State had better wins. Penn State was a nice win. Um, I know they didn't play well against Michigan on the road, but they beat them on the road in a rivalry game and on a neutral side. I know they didn't play their best game against Wisconsin, but I can argue that Wisconsin was in that football game because of turnovers early, stupid turnovers early by Ohio State. Here's the thing I don't get, Chris, and people talk all the, oh, the eye test, oh, Alabama by the eye test. No, if everyone wants to make this thing about a brand, Alabama did not play good football in November. I agree with you. LSU outplayed Alabama for large portions. Heck, they outgained Alabama in that game. Danny Atling, if he hits one or two, just actually just one of those deep passes, the whole aspect of that game changes. But he didn't. He missed all the deep passes that cost LSU dear points early in that game. That's why they lost that game. That's why that game wasn't close eventually. Uh, the Mississippi State game and Auburn. Oh, yeah. Oh, Chris, they beat Mercer. Oh, they, <laughs> they, they whipped up on Mercer. So by not being in the conference championship game, Alabama was probably saved. So I do agree with you. I would have given the edge to the team. And I'm not a conference championship or bust kind of guy, but I would have given the edge to Ohio State to have – Two teams in, in a conference that wasn't all that great overall. I understand everyone says we're going to put the four best teams, but in the month that mattered the most, November, Alabama was not one of the four best teams in college football. And with that sample of four games, I can emphatically say that Ohio State deserved that spot over Alabama.
2: Yeah, and the, the point I kept going back to was on a on a day when Ohio State beat an undefeated team. And I don't care people started with Wisconsin, didn't play anybody. They beat an undefeated team for their conference championship game, a team that was 12-0. and 0. While they did that, Alabama was sitting at home twiddling their thumbs, and they rewarded them. And, and that's what just doesn't make sense to me. He is Carter the Power. Bryant Carter, thanks so much for jumping on with us, man. We really appreciate it. We're going to have to do it again when uh, some of these uh, bowl games start getting a little bit closer.
0: Gordy, anytime, man. I love you,
2: buddy. All right, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Carter, the power, Bryant. That's going to do it for us here on Sports 1280 New Orleans. We'll be back tomorrow live and local right here at 8 a.m. Duncan Holder coming up next. It's Chris Gordy show. We'll talk to you tomorrow.